Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 296. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up, and I'm so delighted and excited to share today's interview with you. It's with one of my favorite authors who really, I would say, challenged me to think differently about prioritization. When I first read Greg McEwen's book, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, I was reminded of uh, a truism I find myself coming back to year after year, which is focus is a better predictor of success than intelligence and hard work alone. I'll say that again. Focus is a better predictor of success than intelligence and hard work alone. I believe that to my core, and his book really helps reinforce that idea as well as explain why that might be the case. Um, Greg and I could talk forever. You'll hear me in this interview. We kind of, we kind of take it in a lot of interesting different directions. And Greg shares some really fascinating examples, uh, with all of you. Uh, but it's just, we just scratched the surface. So I highly recommend picking up his book, Essentialism, if you want to go deeper on how to bring more focus to your daily life, how to be more focused in all of your pursuits, especially at this time when we're in the new year spirit and we're thinking about how to align our lives with what is actually most important to you. Now, for my Life Tracker Planner users, those of us who've been, you know, using the Life Tracker Planner that we've developed here at Bossed Up for years are going to feel so validated <laughs> by some of the principles that Greg shares here because saying no, drawing boundaries, setting one priority above the rest, these are core principles that are very integrated into the Life Tracker methodology. Um, if you haven't joined our Life Tracker planner community and you want to, uh, we have a few left in stock. So head to bossedup.org slash life tracker planner now to grab your 2021 planner and join an accountability community that'll keep you focused and making progress on your goals, both personally and professionally all year long. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Greg, my guest for today. He's dedicated his entire career to really discovering why some people and teams seem to break through to the next level while others don't. The definitive treatment of this issue is addressed in his New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, which I already raved about and highly recommend you pick up. As well as frequently being the number one time management book on Amazon, the book challenges core assumptions about achievement to get to the essence of what really drives success. McEwen is the CEO of his own firm, McEwen Inc., and his clients include Adobe, Apple, Google, Facebook, Pixar, Salesforce, Twitter, VMware, and Yahoo, you know, just to name a few, just a few small companies uh, maybe you've heard of. 
And Greg's writing has been featured or his work has been covered by the New York Times, Fast Company, Fortune, Politico, Inc., and many more. He's among one of the most popular bloggers for the Harvard Business Review and for LinkedIn's influencers group, averaging a million views a month. McEwen's been interviewed on many television and radio shows, including NPR, NBC, Fox, and is now joining us here on the Bossed Up Podcast. Greg, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Emily. As I was just saying here before we hit record, uh, I read your fantastic book, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, about a year ago now. And not only was it a reminder of the power of and importance of saying now, but it really kicked me in the pants to make this year uh, a focused and productive year, no matter what came our way in uh, 2020, this past year. So thank you for the work you're doing on this. I always love starting conversations like this by asking how you came to the subject matter uh, as your area of expertise. And I think your story begins with one of my favorite topics, which is quitting a goal that you had initially started pursuing. Is that right? Well, if you go back 20 years, I was um, visiting some friends in the United States and uh, chatted with uh, someone just in passing, and I said, look, that they'd said to me, if you do decide to stay in America, then you should help me with this consultation committee. And I never did that. But their assumption that I could do something different uh, was really powerful to me. And I left their office and wrote down for 20 minutes this brainstorm. Well, what would you do if you could do anything if you didn't have to do what you thought you had to do? And when I was done with that brainstorm, I looked at the sheet of paper and I was struck not by what I'd written down, but by what I hadn't written down. Law school was not on the list, uh, which was inconvenient because I was at the time at law school in England. And so I think, okay, we better call, you know, better call your parents. Um, it's quite a momentous thing. And my mother answers the phone, fortunately, uh, she listens for a while. She says, I think you better talk to dad. <laughs> so now he comes on the phone. And what do you say? Yeah. Um, after all that time, all that money, all that effort. Actually, what would you say? You, you're, you're my dad. What would you say? I mean, I, I made a very similar phone call myself. So I recall it dramatically. When I was living in D.C., having landed my senior digital political strategist job of my dreams, high impact purpose-driven, high-paying, more money than I thought I could earn in a lifetime, more money than either of my parents had earned. And I was about to quit it all to start Bossed Up, and I made a similar phone call. I think they thought, based on my tone, that someone had died or that I was, like, pregnant or something. <laughs> and I called them at 24 and said, Mom, Dad, I've got to share some news with you. And that is never a good way to start a conversation with one's parents, Let me let me tell you that. And I said, I've decided I'm going to quit my job, even though it's great in so many ways, because I really have, like you, Greg, a burning question I want to pursue, which is how can uh, women in particular, like myself, take charge of our lives and careers in a world that doesn't always encourage us to do so? So I made that call and it was not easy. <laughs> what did they say? They were like, sure. I mean, my parents are total liberal hippies. Uh, planning their lives was never on their to-do list. So <laughs> they yeah, were that's, like, that, yeah. That's not, that's not what my dad said. Well, I bet. Tell me how it went on your <laughs> end. Yeah. He said, uh, actually, he became quite Churchillian about the whole thing. 
son, he says, you know what we've always told you? Always. Uh, and parenthetically, um, I'll tell you what he always told me, which was go to, go to law school. <laughs> but he seemed to forget that in this moment. What we've always told you, son, and because all Englishmen quote Shakespeare over tea and crumpets for breakfast in the morning, uh, he pulls this line right out of Hamlet. To thine own self be true, son. That's what we've always told you. That's so beautiful. <laughs> he never said that to me in his yeah. whole life. <laughs> his aspirational self did, though. You just didn't hear that's, it. That's what, that's what it is. And, and, uh, and that was the beginning, really, of the end there. There was no, there was no putting my life back into its original packaging. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, it was uh, – I already wanted – to do what I, in that moment, had chosen to do. I already wanted to teach and write. That wasn't the revelation. The revelation was that I didn't have to do what I'd been doing before. And also that really I couldn't do both. Mm -hmm. uh, that if I really wanted to spend my life teaching and writing, I needed to get on with that journey. Yes. Uh, yeah. And and it's been a tremendous adventure the last 20 years. You know, with, Without that trade-off in that moment, there would be no essentialism. There'd be no essentialism movement such as it is. And we would certainly not be talking today. So, you know, there is tr great power in making deliberate, intentional, strategic trade-offs. Uh, and and that, was, that was one for me. Yeah, deliberate, intentional, and strategic trade-offs. I think that presumes this acceptance of our limited time on this planet, doesn't it? It's almost like a, a mortality reminder that doing it all, being it all, having it all isn't actually an option. And that seems to contradict what we hear very often in our society today, does it not? We've been sold a bill of goods mm -hmm. uh, that we can. No, there's, there's, two, there's two errors. One is you can do it all. And the second is if you can do it all, you can have it all. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, both of those are false. The first is you simply cannot do it all. There is you know, so by a factor of <laughs> yeah. 10, 100, 1,000 more to do than you have time, energy, resources to do. That's the first problem. And the second is even if you could hypothetically do it all, that doesn't produce it all. What you get as you get closer to doing it all is burned out relationships, burned out self, and, and you make only a millimeter progress in way too many different directions. So the name for this bill of goods is non-essentialism. That's the name I gave to it. And it only has one problem with it is that it's a lie. So doesn't matter how often it's been sold. It doesn't matter how often it's been offered. It still doesn't make it true. And if people listening to this have a different experience, they can just ignore everything <laughs> I, I write about. Right. And like, really, for real, like if it's working yeah, for you, yeah, yeah. if trying to do it all for everyone all the time without really thinking about it is producing great quality of life, great relationships, great results, I mean, by all means, continue to do it. But on the off chance that such a strategy is not delivering on its promise, it's not giving you what it says on the packaging, mm -hmm. then perhaps there's an alternative path. And, and, and that, to me at least, that way out 
is the way of essentialism. Absolutely. And I can almost guarantee you the folks listening to this particular podcast are resonating with that message because I started Bossed Up back in 2013 because I burnt out myself, right? I personally burnt out trying to save the world in my profession in politics. And I also, like so many women, found myself caring for and prioritizing uh, the loved ones in my life who really, in that particular moment in time, were in need of significant support um, and martyred myself, right? I, I martyred my well-being and happily fell on the sword for others for so long uh, as I'm taught to do as a caring, kind, and and feminine woman, right? So the women's, the women's experience, I think, historically, especially if you go back into you know, 1950s, 1960s, post-World War II, women in the U.S. of all classes and races races enter the workforce in mass, our roles expanded, our societal expectations expanded. They didn't change, right? It wasn't go from being a great homemaker to being a great worker. It was do both. And I still today find so many women in particular err on the side of non-essentialism. Uh, and there's, I know, research that bears this out saying, I'm going to be the the jack of all trades, so much so I call it the Jane of all trades, right? We should really rename that and try to be everything to everyone much more often than the men in our lives tend to do. Now, obviously, those are generalizations uh, and oversimplifications, but do you see gender differences in the way of the essentialist? Yes, absolutely, I do. I had a, a great conversation with Eve Rodsky on... Um on the What's Essential podcast, and uh, she she's a you know she's read essentialism and is a is really into it, and her ideas have those ideas have impacted hers and her approach in in her book Fair Play, and the premise of what she's done. So what what in a sense she's done with essentialism is is said how do men and women view their time. And how does that view of their time, the value of their time, affect their view of home responsibilities? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I remember one story that she um, that, that she tells in her book is of something that was left out in the yard, and. And it was there for days and she'd noticed it for days and, and her husband had walked past it multiple times and, 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 and somehow like he said, well, are you ever going to get that kind of thing? And it was like, <laughs> I've, I've been gone for, I, I think she'd been traveling and still it was there. And it was like, why do you think that's mine? Right. You know, what is it that the assumption, mm-hmm. the assumption that that belongs, belonged to her <laughs> and and that's just a an opening to a, a broader conversation. Her her solution uh, is really fascinating. What what she's arguing is that you should you should really look at all responsibilities with the assumption that all time is created equal. Her time, her husband's time, that created equal. It's not that his time is more valuable than her time. They all time is equal, and. Then you look at actually all of the responsibilities. She suggests these cards that you can use. Anna and I have done it ourselves. And, and you divide up responsibilities. And it's so important to do this because otherwise 
I think what happens is that there's this default set of assumptions. Right, right. Like everything that used to belong in the traditionally divided roles of, 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 a, of a man and a woman, um, like they, a woman gets all of that plus all the increased expectations that have just happened over an exceedingly prosperous period of history. So, so like there's way more things that are now expected and are done than, than like the thirties, forties, fifties. So there's just an expansion of expectation. Plus now, of course, the, the, uh, the, the, that separation of, uh, of responsibility isn't how it used to be. So now you often have a woman who's working, a man who's working and so on, but still all of these responsibilities, you know, who who actually schedules the dentist? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But how many in a man and woman? And of course there are exceptions. <laughs> but how many in a, in a husband wife relationship? How many of the husbands of the men are scheduling that? Right. Oh my! You, we know that's not who's doing it. Same for medical things. But there's nothing. There's nothing written in stone, and it has to be this way. But the assumptions disproportionately burden right women. Yes, absolutely. And so. Eve's just an example of someone who's sort of taken essentialism and and, and applied it to a specific um, relationship challenge. And I think the way you were That's, implying. Yeah, I, I love that. I'll have to definitely get a copy of her book and see if we can have her on as well. Because I, I, I want to ask about those hidden assumptions. Because regardless of our ties to others... Uh, and I swear I didn't just invite you on here to ask you about gender politics, although I very much enjoyed that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, our priorities, which I know is a word we should talk about, uh, tend to kind of roll out by default instead of by design. And so two questions I have. One is, what does the word priorities bring up for you? And the second is, how do we create space and time? And, and maybe even why is it important to create space and time to question those assumptions and explore them? The, the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s, and it was singular. The, uh, the priorest thing, one thing, by definition, I mean, that's what makes the word helpful and interesting, uh, useful. It, it stayed singular, according to Peter Drucker, for the next 500 years. So it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that it became normal to talk of priorities. And if you sort of think about that word, it, it's quite a strange, strained word. Um, how can you have very, very many, very first before all other things, things? Right. Uh, and, and yet people do talk about this almost with no sense of irony. Well, here are my 38 priorities. And when do they all have to be done? Well, you know, yesterday. <laughs> right. And, and and it's this kind of sort of, I don't know, a sort of madness really uh, that, uh, that, that somehow, again, everything is essential. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, when really what's more valuable is to say, well, look, what are the, what are the relatively few things uh, that are that are truly essential. How how can I discern those from the trivial many, yeah. and and invest my energies and time in those things? And and even so, your discussion of that in the book even challenged me to just stop saying priorities and just stop allowing that word to happen in everyday speech. When in, amongst my team, 
when I hear us saying, okay, what are our top priorities? I'm like, no, what's the top priority? If it's meant to be singular, it has more power, right? And so if we have to force that upon ourselves, which is not easy, uh, I, I think of it as front burner, back burner, at least giving some delineation between the first and the second and the third priority. Yeah, I ruined the word for myself, that's yes, for sure. Definitely. Like I can't, I personally can never say the word priorities right. um, in any conversation. So, you know, of course, of course it is true that you can have many good things and many important things. What is not true by definition is that you can have more than one first priority. And so, and so it is an important conversation when faced with two competing activities to at least say, well, what is the priority between these? What is most important? Um, there's a, a, another guest I just had on, on, on the What's Essential podcast was, um, was Banks Benitez, who's the CEO of Uncharted, um, a company, um, certainly I can't remember where they're based, but, uh, uh, but but he read essentialism. He got his whole team to read, read essentialism. And what came out of that was so fascinating as a case study, which was they said, well, well, what if we took this, like what if we went for real with this? What if we applied essentialism in trying to achieve 100% of our output using only 80% of the time that we used to put in? like literally a four-day work week. What could we do this scientifically? Like actually bring in, they brought an outside company to measure their output, to measure their way of operating so that they had proper base metrics. They ran an experiment, you know, according to this hypothesis that they could. So they're not trying to cram five days worth of time into four days. It's 32 hours of time. In four days, could you get the same result if you change the conversations that you're having? And the the summary of it is that the answer is yes, and that they did. And so it's now the official policy of that company is a four day work week instead of five. And they they measured it before, middle, and after, and find that they have produced the same level of output with less input. And because now, what are the conversations that need to have that they didn't have before? even as the CEO, he'll go to people, well, look, can we focus, you know, can you do this today? Mm. And they will say, no, I well, hope. is that more important? <laughs> yeah. Is it more important than this that I'm working on? And sometimes the answer is yes. They'll talk about it and yes. Okay. Well, we make a trade-off. I'm not going to do the thing I was going to do today. Now I will focus on this. But often he says, he'll find that when he looks at the trade-offs, when he actually looks at what he's asking for, compared to what they're working on, he says, no, actually what you are is more important. And suddenly it's what's most important. That's the real boss. Right. And that's exactly what you want. You, ne you never want hierarchy to be the boss. You want the priority to be the boss. Right. And that to be a conscious, a conscious question of what does the business need most? What does the team need most? What does our bottom line need most? Is that what you're saying? Well, it just brings, what it is, is it's having a conversation around the reality of trade-offs in every choice. Non-essentialism's biggest con is that there's no trade-offs. 
Right, 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 right. So you, you can say yes to everything and therefore you'll get everything. In fact, I remember talking to a woman at LinkedIn when I went there to speak when Essentialism was first being published. And we had a luncheon afterwards and, and, and she was one of the people at the lunch. And she said, look, my New Year's resolution this year, so this is like a few months before I was there, was to say yes to everyone and everything. She literally had that as her intention. And I said, well, how did it work out for you? And she's like, she just laughed. She's like, well, terrible. <laughs> right. And, and then suddenly now essentialism isn't saying no to everyone and everything. That would be noism. That's a different, <laughs> that's a different book. Um, but it is trying to be thoughtful about realizing, being honest about every yes is a no to many things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that you're saying yes to the essential things rather than saying yes to something that's relatively non-essential and saying no to what is essential without really realizing that's what you're doing. Right. And that actually reminds me of how to create that space in this year's January, right? How do we do that better? How do we set New Year's resolutions, if we're going to call them that, or goals for this new year in general, by first evaluating consciously that which is most important to us? Kind of like how you uh, had that revelation that law school wasn't on your list while you were in the midst of law school. What does creating that time and space look like? Uh, especially at the top of a new year? Well, something that I've created that I'm hoping will be useful to people in 2021 um, is, a, is actually a 21-day essentialism challenge where every day there's a specific thing that can be done, really doable, achievable, practical, actionable, not overwhelming things that you can do one thing each day for 21 days to help create this space um it, it, and 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 um i mean to sign up you just go to essentialism.com and you can sign up and 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 the details are there but one of them let me give you one example um it's it comes from um a, a, another reader of essentialism but somebody i just met recently uh who who'd read it and she came away with a question um, what is the one most, what's the one thing I need to do today? It's the most important thing I need to do today. And she took that question and she just asked it every day. That's quite a small behavioral shift. But what happened really shifted and sort of tilted the direction of her life in some ways. At first, the answers she had were all career related. She runs a consulting business in England, and it was, okay, there's this, this important project, that important project. As she kept asking the question, some of the answers shifted. Eventually, they were like to do with self-care items. What, what's the one thing I need to do today is, is, is take a break, uh, is, 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 is relax, is, is create some space to think. But then there was one day that she got a call from her dad, said, look, just letting you know, uh, it's nothing serious, but your mom's in the hospital again. You've got way too much to do. You've got way too much in your plate. Don't worry about it. I just wanted to let you know. She said she remembers exactly where she was when she heard it. She knows what the weather was outside, what the room was like. Time so stood still. 
as she asked the question that day, she knew that the most important thing she needed to do was to drive the two hours to the hospital to be with her mother. So she does that. Mm-hmm. When she gets there, she talks to her mother, says, uh, you know, um, I love you. <laughs> her mother says that back. I love you. You know, I'm sure everything's going to be fine. Within an hour of that conversation, she, her mother had slipped into a coma. Oh and a week later, she had the unfortunate responsibility of turning off that life support machine. <sighs> she wrote to me to tell me that story, all to say the point that if she hadn't been an essentialist, that day would have been really different. Yeah. And, and so that's the, that's the kind of action, that's one of the, the 21 actions. Is you just write up that question, what's the one thing I need to do today? Put it where you can see it. The answers will change. Every day it will be different. Sure. But you'll keep coming back to what's most essential. I love that as an illustration of values too, because, you know, people say every day, I I am a family person or I value my relationships above all else. And I say, well, give me your calendar and I'll tell you what you value, (laughs) right? Or give me your budget and I'll tell you what you value, whether we're talking organizationally or individually. Uh, If how you spend your time isn't a... Is it aligned, I think is the word. Is it, if it isn't aligned with your values, you're going to feel that dissonance in a very painful way, I think. What, well, that's... Right? I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, please go um, ahead. Th- that's how, in hindsight, that was really the, the birth of essentialism, um, was when I received an email from my boss at the time, said Friday between 1 and 2 p.m. would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby (laughs) (laughs) because I, I need you to be at this client meeting. And sure enough, uh, Anna and I were in the hospital. Our daughter was born the night before. And there we are, uh, Friday morning. Um, you know, everybody is well. Um, but instead of me being present in that moment, focused on that clearly singular essential thing, uh, I've got my laptop out, I've got my phone out. I'm trying to keep everybody happy. And and I conclude that um that the best thing I should, you know, can do to keep everybody happy is to go to that client meeting. And uh, you know, to my shame, it, I did. And and even afterwards I remember my manager saying, Look, the client will resp- will respect you for the choice you just made. And I'm not sure yeah. that the look on their faces did evince that sort of respect. But even if they had, it was clear to me that I had made a fool's bargain. Right. Uh, and what I learned from that experience was an important lesson, which is if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of, I find myself coming back to this phrase often, sometimes to make yourself proud, you have to risk letting someone else down, right? There is a trade-off there as well. Whose priorities or whose priority takes precedent in your time, in your life? And there's power there, right? Go ahead. I completely agree. I think you have to be willing to trade off short-term popularity for longer-term respect. Yes, definitely. I mean, that that is so the experience of the women leaders I work with, especially. You know, as leaders, I think finding the backbone to say no is important. We want our leaders to have boundaries. We need to see that. We respect people 
who advocate for boundaries in their own life or on behalf of their teams. Uh, and yet it's extremely dis- difficult to risk being disliked in that way. I remember um, that Kay Krill, who was the CEO of An Inc., uh, talked about how at one time in her life she was really unskilled and incompetent at saying no. Um, and that's that itself is quite a helpful framing because saying no isn't just something oh, we should be able to do it. It's its own leadership competency and it must be learned as any other competency. How to, how to manage a good meeting, how to build an agenda, how to, uh, how to build a business, how to, how to say no. It's its own, you know, not the, the word, so two-letter word, it makes it, implies it's, oh, it, we should, it should be easy, should be simple. We have to, it's a whole repertoire. One of the chapters in Essentialism is the no repertoire, and it has a whole series of suggestions for how to express it and how to negotiate a no and how to give a graceful no. And, and, and just tapping into Cray again, uh, to, to, to Kay again, excuse me, um, she said that over the years, she has actually practiced how to do it. Yeah. And she, she says she has become really skilled now and so people around her are educated about what she'll say yes and no to mm. you know the, the the people who support her are aware of the things on her calendar that are inviolate for example with her own family and, and and commitments that she's made and so she's not just stopped with just her own clarity and her own ability to say no but is in inculcated that into the culture around her so that it can be reinforced and supportive of the things that actually matter most to her. I mean, that's really a, a, an example of, of essentialism in action. I love that. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's aligning and taking charge of aligning your life with what you've deemed most essential to you, most important to you. My, my challenge is that while it feels simple in some ways, it is not easy. And the privilege and power dynamics at work come into play in a significant way. It's one thing if you're the boss and you say, this is important to me, so this is what's happening. It's another thing if you're the intern who says, this is important to me, but you know what? What's important to you will take precedent for right now. That's fine. You know, those trade-offs, those, those compromises, what role does power and privilege play and, and how can someone who's not in charge at work bring essentialism to their lives in a, in a more concrete way in our personal realm, even in our professional realm. Well, I agree completely with what you're saying about uh, the power differentials and, and the, the inequality of, of hierarchy. It's in, it's inherently unequal. And so, and non-essentialism often is the, is the dominant culture within hierarchy. So, so what you're saying, I think, is true. So now the question is what to do about it. And I think the first thing someone needs to do is recognize that if they don't get clear themselves about what matters, then it will simply be a function of that hierarchy. Like if you don't have a point of view about what's most important to you personally or professionally, then you will simply respond and react to the next email, to the, to the, to the latest request, to, to all of those external forces. So the first thing to do is to get clear yourself. It's to create space 
uh, to explore what is essential. And I mean, I, I just did a sort of essential intervention with a client where we had, you know, a whole organization on, on the Zoom, but I pulled one person out after we'd asked some questions. I said, well, look, they, they'd said this. I'd asked, what is essential that you're underinvesting in? And everyone was answering that question. And, and this one woman said, well, space to think. Uh, and so I said, well, that's interesting. And I had her come on sort of the screen and we just did an intervention together. And I said, well, how much time are you currently spending alone thinking? And she literally said less than five minutes a day. And you could tell it was literally true. Mm. You could see that complete exhaustion. She has, you know, lots of children. It's the, it's the pandemic. Uh, she's homeschooling now additionally. She's working somehow, trying to work full-time as well. I mean, she's utterly exhausted and, and literally doesn't have, I think she said not even five minutes. And so, uh, and so we talked, we started to construct like the, the vital reprioritization of her as being the most important asset that she is the priority, that her health is vitally important in and of itself, that she matters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and those words did, did seem to matter to her. They did seem to have an impact, even just hearing it, you know, amidst all of this, this exhaustion that I think a lot of people and especially women and especially working women and especially working women with children are feeling right now. And, and so just in her case, it's an extreme example in some ways, but just even constructing 10 minutes, I said, could you construct it 10 minutes? Could you set that expectation? And she said, yes, I, I can, like she has the ability to do it. I can, let everybody know in the home that I am going to be gone. And it was like, I can do it for more than 10 minutes. It once that she had really mm. recognized that she did not have this, that there was no boundary. She knew she had the skills and the competence to create that. Mm. Once she knew it mattered and once she knew she mattered and once she could see that this underinvestment had taken place, she knew what to do about it. And, and I think that's really the beginning is creating space so that you have a point of view. I know that's not the end, but that's the place to begin so that you then can go into your conversations with other people with a little more clarity about what you think matters, a point of view about what you should be doing. So then you can move into conversation and even negotiation right. with other people. Absolutely. I think that is so critical. And while it is not the end, I'm afraid... It is almost the end of our chat together here. So I want to leave our folks with that call to action, right? Creating space, not once, right? Not twice, not annually. We're talking regularly. We're talking rinsing, repeating, whether it's 10 minutes a day or, an, you know, I know some folks in your, some of the executives you profile in your book take two hours a day, right? But however long it is, creating space to explore what matters to you, even if it doesn't come to you in 10 minutes, and get clear so you have that point of view, 
so you know what to do about it next. Is that is that the call to action I'm hearing? Yes, I think so. I think if, if we could summarize the conversation we've had today, it would be take 10 minutes mm-hmm. uh, every day to answer the question, what's the most important thing I need to do today? I love that. Absolutely. What a good way to start the new year off with time and space devoted to ourselves. Greg, you have so much uh, to share on this topic. Your book, Essentialism, we barely even got into the incredible array of resources you have uh, available. And it sounds like you're working on a new book, which is exciting. Where can my listeners keep up with you and learn more about all that is the essentialist way? Well, I think if you just go to essentialism.com, both, I mean, the most important things that, that... I've designed and my team is building um, all exist there and all will exist there. I've learned of late that, especially of late, how important it is to not try to be an essentialist on your own, Mm. Uh, that you need community, that you need other people, that you should have accountability partners, that you should get your team in on the action, uh, that that if you try to do it alone, It's going to be lonely and it's going to make it 10 times harder than it needs to be. Uh, and so, you know, essentialism.com, there's a, there's a free newsletter called the one minute Wednesday you can sign up for, you can read that within one minute each week, just kind of sharpening you up as we continue to decode what the essential life looks like. Uh, the, the, the what's essential podcast I've mentioned, uh, the 21 day challenge is, is coming in January, uh, it would be available um, and, and there is a new book and, and it, it, it doesn't come out until April, 2021, but it is, um, I mean, I feel so, I won't just say passionate cause that's, that that's true, but doesn't do it justice. I feel like I have fire for the deed, nice. uh, for, for what this book is because, because it's written, um, the book is called effortless. And it's written, devoted to a single principle, which is that not everything has to be so hard. <laughs> yes. I, that was the one yeah. question I didn't get to, by the way, just to, to add to what you're saying is like, you always say in essentialism that doing what's essential can become default. And that perplexes me. So I think I need to read this next book. Well, I, I needed to read this next book and I just didn't have it to read. And, uh, and, and, it, and it, it, you know, it, it grew itself out of, hmm. uh, out of, I suppose, out of pain. Um, but really, I mean, it's written to people who are highly engaged individuals, mm-hmm. but are on the edge of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the subtitle of the book is Make It Easy to Do What Matters. Oh, I cannot wait to get my hands on that. We're going to have to have you back, it sounds like. Well, let's, let, let, let's, let's organize something. Let's do something <laughs> special around Effortless. I cannot wait. Greg McEwen, thank you so much for joining me here today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. To learn more and get all the links to the resources we mentioned in today's episode, head to bossedup.org slash episode 296. That's bossedup.org slash episode 296. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. Today's Boss Move comes in from Charlotte, who shared the following in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook, which is the best place to be on Facebook, and I'm linking to it in today's show notes so you can join us there as well. Here's what she wrote. 
One year ago today, I went out on short-term disability to deal with a serious burnout episode. I had let things go on way too long, and I was in crisis by the time I finally took action. I remember walking out that day thinking I had torpedoed my career. One year later, I'm seven months into a new role at a company with a much healthier culture and where I'm supported in my career and my personal growth. I've spent time in therapy and with a career coach and am continuing the journey to reestablish my confidence and grow my ambition. Looking back, I didn't torpedo my career that day. I kickstarted it. I'm sharing this story in case anyone else is in a similar spot. It can and will get better. And you have the strength to get yourself through it. Hang in there. Charlotte, oh my God. Not only am I so impressed with this boss move, I just want to thank you for sharing it. It really reminds me of the intent behind sharing boss moves here on the Boss Up podcast and our Fierce Friday check-ins in the uh, Facebook group, which is you never know who you're inspiring when you share your story. So thank you for, for sharing this. And by the way, for you know, reinforcing the lessons that Greg and I talked through on today's podcast. We can't be everything to everyone. And some workplace cultures, actually many, if not most workplace cultures, uh, default to this undisciplined pursuit of more as opposed to focusing on doing less but doing it better. So kudos to you for taking charge of your trajectory and putting yourself first and focusing on what was most important to you. Clearly, that return on investment is real and it's already paying off. Congratulations. All right, bosses, I want to hear from you. What did you think about our conversation today? What did you think about essentialism? Is it hardcore? Is it too much? Is it too severe to pick one priority? Are you a multiple priorities person? Or are you super ready to bring a laser-like focus to your new year? Share with me on social media at Emily Aries or at BossedUp.org or weigh in via the comment section at today's corresponding blog post, BossedUp.org slash episode 296. Until next time, let's keep bossing in pursuit of our purpose and together we'll lift as we climb.